For February 7th, 2011, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 136, Reprehensible, and Not Even All That Sexy. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject... Uh, America's most profitable sporting activity to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From Chicago, Illinois, I'm Delroy Lindo. And, and this is Chicago Code. From the creators of The Shield. Yeah. Delroy Lindo is the Chicago Code. No, he's he doesn't not. play the code. It's <laughs> an abstract concept. Right. Didn't, it, this, didn't the commercial adequately explain to you what the show was about? No, it, it, it didn't. I mean, what, what is the Chicago Code? Is it like the Da Vinci Code? I mean, and, you know, for that matter, what is the Da Vinci Code? It's yeah. like the words. Go ahead. Don't really do like goes to an Irish pub and discovers the secret to where Jesus ended up. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's about Delroy Lindo tapping on a countertop in certain rhythms so that other people can transcribe it and transfer that into letters and numbers. Delroy's Uh, code. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm Matthew Rather. Peter Fenzel is here. And from the inside of a marble plated bathroom, it's Josh McNeil. Howdy. (laughs) (laughs) Are you really inside a marble plated bathroom? (laughs) I'm in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, he, uh, which, which after this tragic loss may in some strange way resemble a marble-plated bathroom. Well, yeah, but it's also you got, you got all the room tone because you're in a – I don't know. You're using your computer mic, right? Anyway. Um, uh, oh, yes. Oh, there was, a, uh, there was a sporting contest, football. That's the one with the funny hats and shoulder pads, isn't it? We um, the one they play in Europe where they kick the ball, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, you're, you're thinking of you're thinking of Robert Palmer. <laughs> That's not a <laughs> football. Exactly. Um, so, uh, question of the week: favorite Super Bowl ad, Pete Fenzel. Hey, how's it going? Um, so, I I do have a big soft spot for the Mean Joe Green ad because it was directed by one of my dad's cousins, which is our one of our family's big claims to no fame that we have. Um, but uh, is that, so is that like, you have a relative who directs commercials? Uh, yeah, like a, a while ago. Yeah, yeah, but your relative has has pretty much risen as high as you can in that biz. I mean, your relative is like the king of the commercial directing uh, industry. You know, uh, queen. Oh, queen. Will. Excuse me. <laughs> Pardon me. Look at your assumptions. Look so at I me did- with my heteronormativity. It's almost <laughs> like I'm on Super Bowl 44. <laughs> um, so, I mean, well, I did like the house uh, commercial that was a tribute to that commercial, and I feel like I have to mention it. My actual favorite commercial was the commercial the NFL put, put together where they digitally altered all of the classic TV clips and modern TV clips so that they made all the characters into football fans. So like Betty White and the Golden Girls is carrying like a football cake and the Fonz is like has a foam finger and a Packers jersey and everybody is getting psyched up to watch the Super Bowl. I thought that was really fun and funny and I enjoyed watching that. That was deal. pretty cool, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed it. And we were marveling at the party I was at how complex it must have been to get the intellectual property rights. Seriously, the, the rights to ALF are almost impossible to get. <laughs> Sorry, there was just a semi-truck that drove <laughs> a, ju- a jet engine just... <laughs> Josh Sorry is, about that. Josh is in the bathroom blow-drying no. his hair or yeah, something exactly. like that. Jeez Louise. Um, yes, excellent. Uh, Mr. Josh McNeil, you have not been on the podcast in a long time. It's a, we, we give you a good-natured ribbing, but that's just how, how men show affection. It's very good to have you back. 
It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, my favorite ad was probably, uh, I was looking for something ironic and funny, but no, I'm going to go with Cowboys and Aliens because I cannot wait to see that movie. Uh, I think the, um, the b- between True Grit and uh, the stuff they did with Sam Neill before this show, I feel like America's in a very Western place right now. Hmm. Plus, we've also got all this sort of, um, there's all kinds of science fiction uh, alien invasion movies coming out, too. So it, it sort of, I think it's, it's going to be right at the crux of the zeitgeist, um, and I'm excited to see it. Josh, there's there's a transformer behind you, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) It's more than meets the eye. Remind me to come back to that ad too, because that was uh, a thing to talk about. Is it true that trans that the last Transformers movie, which I did not see, was Megan Fox in white pants running in the desert for two hours, (laughs) and that was it? Is that all that movie was? Pete, let me put it this way: it wasn't not Megan Fox in white pants (laughs) running in the (laughs) desert for two hours. The guys at my party were talking about how it was a miracle her pants never got dirty. It was, it was quite <laughs> impressive, apparently. Definitely. What about your? What about you? What's your favorite ad? My my show? favorite was the uh, the Carmax litany of similes. You know, I'm as <laughs> I'm as happy as a, I'm as happy as a pig and shit. No, it wasn't that. It was I'm as happy as a gymnast in a mattress store, and the gym, and then you cut to the gymnast. I'm as happy as a. I don't know, at a nerd, at, at a robot convention, and you cut to that guy. It, not, super, not super exciting in terms of visual storytelling, but I like it because it was, um, it was based on a literary, you know, it was based on a literary form. You know well, we had I mean? a couple commercials that were like that commercial, right? Or at least one other, where there was the car that kept traveling through the different acts of appropriation, Right, where like different civilizations kept stealing it from the previous civilization or what have you, or previous like sort of idea of civilization where like Poseidon stole the car that was being taken by the helicopter to the boat and then that was taken by aliens. Yeah, yeah. So there were a couple commercials that were like sequences, right? That were like like uh, stacked lists, a little matryoshka. Of, uh, of commercial content. <laughs> well, that, that, I mean, that one was interesting. I hadn't connected it to appropriation, right? But I think you're, I think you're exactly right. It's, um, it's uh, acts of cultural, sort of cultural theft uh, in different, um, you know, in different ways. Different ideas of religion, different ideas of entitlement and, and things yeah. like this. I, I just thought what I think the makers of that commercial wanted you to think, which was, man, that car's having an awesome adventure. Yeah, that's true. Except the car was was sort of absconded with, like the car the car was not uh, privy to this adventure that it was having. It was taken against its will. I guess the cars don't have will, so I guess it was just taken. But I remember the first thing I thought was when I first saw the guy in the helicopter steal the car. I was like, man, if that guy just wants to jack a car and kill the person inside <laughs> of it, like there are easier ways. And then the second- yeah, but everyone escaped. <laughs> I mean, they were very careful. Yeah. It was it had a Dukes of Hazard esque yeah. uh, <laughs> aversion right. to killing the driver of the car. No, A Team. Yeah, I very A team. Yeah, yeah, we're like the machine sorry, that is I'm going getting, off, and everybody is like jumping over boxes. And I'm getting my down. yeah, I'm getting my um my yeah. uh, classic well, the Dukes TV of Hazard, shows. Hazard, they would have hit a hay bale, and everybody would have been okay. Everybody, right? It wouldn't have been right. that they'd all you know. I guess they all still jump out of the car. And there was a Duke of Hazard reference in another commercial. But yeah, no, I mean it was interesting. It's also interesting that the Aztecs won. The yep. Aztecs were the one who finally got the car, which I think is uh, an interesting. Uh, I thought that that was that was nice. Everybody was enjoying driving the car. It was God, it's, it's almost it's it's almost like the car means they're uncolonized now. <laughs> uh, actually, you know what? I think I think it was a conflation though, because they were Mayans. I think because they were on Chichen Itza, right? Or Chichen Itza. Yeah. But they but there was this idea that they were performing some sort of sacrificial ritual. I mean, it looked like a sort of Aztec choreography with like a Mayan art direction and costume. Yeah. Uh, 
like so there's this sort of like amalgam of pre-columbian like uh, mexican civilization that is like stealing this car which is of course a horrible role to put a mexican into in a commercial but i don't know if they were thinking about it that way as like the lord of all intergalactic car thieves uh it's okay the whole thing looked cgi but i don't think any actual mexicans were harmed in the making of this uh in the making of this commercial (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. But, uh, but all right, so let's um, – here's my thesis uh, okay. that I think we can debate, and that will give, give us a, a way into the ads this year. And we, you know, we debated recording an earlier episode because it's you know, it very late on the East Coast, but we decided that we wanted to, we wanted to push late because we wanted to talk about the ads on the show. Here's, here's my, um, here's my uh, uh, what, resolution. Resolved. Uh, whereas last year's Super Bowl ads were about misogyny, this year's Super Bowl ads were about ethnicity. Um, and now, can, were... can you can you remind us of some of last year's Super Bowl ads, just so that we know oh, exactly th- what you're talking about? I don't know. The the weren't there a lot of stupid girlfriend ads last year? I, oh. I, I, right. I seem to remember us talking a lot about the sexism of of the Super Bowl ads last year, and of course now. You know, now that I'm actually put on the spot, I can't call to mind a single one of them, except I mean, for that's the, fine. you know, except for the, um, the what, the, uh, uh, the GoDaddy ads, which are, you know, reprehensible every year. But the, well, they had uh, the this year too, yeah. Yeah, and so. not, not even all that sexy, honestly. But, um, no. there, but, you know, hey, that's America for you, reprehensible and not even all that sexy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, I, I seem to remember us uh, and really kind of the, the internetosphere um, kind of embroiled in a, um, in a long discussion about the sexism of, the, of the, uh, the Super Bowl ads. And it was kind of connected to the, uh, you know, to the economic downturn, um, yeah. to high unemployment, to the idea of kind of men feeling like men. You know, mm. that, that is to say kind of recovering uh, for the Super Bowl demographic, recovering a certain – um, uh, you know, hyper testosterone fueled sense of the masculine ideal. That is to say, I may not have a job or, you know, my house may be getting foreclosed on, but maleness, you know, uh, masculinity is something that, that transcends all of that. And I'm, you know, and I'm a real man and the, you know, and there are fake men, uh, and there are also women and these are not, um, right, right, right. Be a real man. Oh, there, there's that Dodge car. I remember the Dodge commercial where it was, it was like, they took away all these things from you, but this is, you know, uh, but you still have to get to drive the car that you want to drive because like you've been humiliated at work and you've been humiliated in your relationships and nobody loves you and you're terribly alone and you feel hopeless and worthless and no, and nobody wants to have you around at all and all this other stuff, but you can still drive a Dodge. So bonus, which is a cle- right. I mean, that's a that's a I think that's a pretty clever turn, right? Like that is to say consumption, you know, is the answer to the uh, to the emasculating feeling that you are unable to consume. I just dispute that a Dodge is the com- I mean, <laughs> Al, Bundy, Al Bundy drove a Dodge and Al Bundy also had all those other things. So, I mean, I feel like all you're doing is completing the circle. That's that's not climax. That's anticlimax. <laughs> I mean, I guess it is more climax because it's in line with – and you have to drive a Dodge. Like all this other stuff and you have to drive a Dodge. By the way, we're clearly not getting any money from any of the companies that, are, that we're talking about these commercials from. They're not going to give us anything. So we feel free to criticize them to our heart's content. But uh, I do remember that being kind of funny part of Mary with children that like the dodge that he drove although you almost never saw it like it popped up every once in a while but uh but it was like this great humiliation that he drove a dodge and it was like also a humiliation he worked in a shoe store which is kind of weird i always felt that was a weird thing about al bundy that he worked in a shoe store because it's like 
I didn't feel like I didn't feel like that was as great of a humiliation as he must have thought it was. But maybe it's because I was a child and didn't really conceive very clearly of the different degrees of status associated with men's jobs, right? Like so. Anyway, yeah. Well, rate. right. Like I mean, if you consider that he was like Al Bundy was sort of kneeling on the floor, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, oh, because I mean, I, my idea of like a cobbler, like, like someone who sells, like a, a man who works with shoes, is of a sort of like avuncular mustachioed fellow behind a counter with like a hammer, right? Who like fixing the souls of things. Oh, excuse me. Um, my butler just arrived with my tea. Let's <laughs> go get that. <laughs> I'm oh. keep co- covering for the noise that's coming out of Josh's microphone. While, while you do that, while the, while yeah. the butler gives, gives your tea, I think that this, you know, look, I think that this, like we had, just when I typed into my notes that I was taking, uh, the um, uh, this year it's about ethnicity. You know, Pepsi came through with the ad uh, with the couple on a date where you hear their inner monologue, and uh, the the um, woman on the date is saying, uh, "I wonder how much money money he makes," and and similar kind of shallow materialistic things. And the guy is saying, "I want to sleep with you. I want to sleep with you. I want to sleep with you. I want to sleep with you." Um, you know, just uh, I'm glad someone is sticking up for traditional gender roles, you know, and uh, well, there was also the one with the flowers in Faith Hill and the rack. Right. Yeah. Well, there's OK. So this is I mean, this is sort of this is sort of interesting because that's a reversal, isn't it? Like the guy who's acting like a, a sort of testosterone fueled guy is kind of shown up as being um, the, the product is is positioned as an antidote to that rather than, you know what I mean, rather than as a confirmation of that. Last yeah, yeah, last yeah. year it would have been you tell your girlfriend that you ha- that she has a nice rack and you drive away in yeah. your Dodge. <laughs> Hop in your Dodge. So jo- Josh, I hear I hear you uh, unmuting there. Uh, I hear the uh, the stuff going on over there. Did you have a take on any of this stuff? Did you watch the Super Bowl last year? Were you even were you on the road or were you at home? Well, I think right. I was actually with you on the podcast. Um, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. But uh, asshole, get in your dodge. And then we all went to Disney World together because the podcast always wins. <laughs> yep. Um, overall, I don't know. I don't know that I saw a theme. Matt, I've been. I'm, I'm perusing a list of all the commercials that were uh, that were aired, and I'm not seeing the race uh, yep. or thing that that you brought up. The uh, there's the couple of the Eminem ads, which are odd. He shows up for two different companies, and I always feel like he has some interesting things to say about race. But aside from that, I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, I still I want to talk about real men. I want to come back to it, especially because there are a couple. There were a couple of uh, ads that were a special case of what we on overthinking it call the bad things happen when you use our product ad, uh, <laughs> and and this this um, subgenre was the our product will make you gay ad. <laughs> um, like, uh, you're going, you know, uh, Budweiser is going to make you sing an Elton John song or, uh, you know, living social, um, the living social ad where the, uh, you kind of become a, a more and more effeminate woman as you, um, you know, as you use their product. But okay, here, here's my argument for ethnicity. And this is, I mean, maybe I'm overreaching. Okay. Fair enough guys. If, if, if oh, no, no, it's fine. Mind. I mean, I think that we, there doesn't have to be just one theme. And if you had one particular interpretation, I want to hear it. Here's so okay. Well, here's. The first thing that I saw was that um, it struck me that in the uh, the Bridgestone ad that was the reply all ad where the guy had to drive his car on Bridgestone tires around to um, kind of knock the PDAs out of the hand or, you know, knock the laptops off the desks of all the people that he had replied all to. It, it, it struck me. I looked at both of those guys and were like, they're 
American, but they're sort of ethnically ambiguous. You know what I mean? They have sort of light to medium complexions and dark hair and sort of mustaches. And, and I could see that I could see their ethnicity being read in a lot of ways, you know? Um, yeah. I, uh, uh, a lot of different, you know, a lot of ways from sort of Central or South American to, I mean, you know, from Latino to uh, South, to like Italian to South Asian, you know. Um, and I, th- I thought that was interesting. So my antenna, my antenna were up for it. Um, so the co-commercial uh, with the dragon, it was clearly a Chinese dragon, right? Mm-hmm. And the and the animals because it you know because yeah. it barfed it or it burped fireworks, um, and, but it and, spewed fire first, so it went from being less Chinese to more Chinese, I guess. Yeah. Or, oh, it had the whiskers. So yeah, and the design close. of it was you know was with the whiskers and the kind of the animals uh, who were you know they seemed to be like Mongol hordes or something like right, that. You right, know, right, like, right, right. Yeah, um, it was a it felt like a Kung Fu Panda commercial. Well, right, and and yeah. also. You know, just the the use of animals, of kind of different species of animals uh, squaring off against one another always kind of perks my ears up because because it's so often a a racial thing. You know, the the animals standing in for for different races. Um, But what was the uh, what was the implication of the Tchaikovsky, right, that came on? Uh, I mean, was the message of that co-commercial that you don't want to fight a land war in Russia? Was, <laughs> you know, was the, uh, you know. Um, yeah, because what was the message? Because it, it's like if you give Coke, because there was also the. If, you, the, give, the, if you give Coke to vanquishing Mongol hordes, they will cease their attack on your fortress. Well, because there was and more than one Coke commercial about like inter- the borders of international legitimacy and like the military enforcement thereof. Right, because there was that other Coke commercial with like the two, um, the, sort of stri- the Stratego guys, yeah, who were, who were at the border <laughs> with each other, and and like they, they wanted to pass the Coke, but they couldn't. They they had that sort of DMZ Guantanamo thing going where they were spotting the other person and they couldn't let down their guard, but they still wanted to pass the Coke without like violating the sovereignty of the nations that they represented. Um, and so there's this idea that Coke is going to to sort of provide a. Uh, whether the nations want it or not, is going to provide a, a, a sense of permeating and overwhelming and sort of making irrelevant national borders, right? Which it's, is, it's like, in, in fact, absolutely accurate. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of extrapolating my analysis of the commercial from what Coke is actually doing. But yeah. yes, <laughs> and, all com- and many corporations. It was, it was beautiful in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I do my best, and, and and they did a good job. I'm wondering whether it's like, yeah, we're we're boasting about our business strategy, which is to like try to you know break down trade barriers by being too entrenched in the nations where we do business for them to dislodge us. Uh, <laughs> pretty much. Um, uh, well, the, but the, Coke is also always, or at least in recent years, has always been sort of about just like generally making things happier, right? Yeah. There's there's all sorts of. You know, animated things, non-animated things, but that's just been their general sense for for a long time now. Yeah. Um, given the sort of international chaos at the moment, I wonder if this is just sort of more of a take uh, a, a response to the international chaos through their lens of oh look, Coke brings everyone together. Yeah. I said it's it seems odd to me that they would sort of tout their own you know global dominance. Yeah. Uh, that's. Just, I mean, my, yeah. 
mean, my, my main my main takeaway from that is that is that Coke's branding is usually pretty defensive, I guess, and that like Coke doesn't have to go out there and aggressively recruit new uh, customers. Coke needs to just make sure that other brands don't encroach upon its territory and the by, way and by, the way yeah. that i think you're right pete and that, i think that's exactly right and the way they do that is kind of reminding you of a kinder simpler time when there was only coke you know what i mean like, <laughs> yeah yeah like like you don't have like th- this is not the pepsi you're looking for like, it doesn't exist <laughs> i'm waving my hand to the people who can't watch the live video stream which doesn't exist <laughs> there is I'm no live video hand. stream there is no you know there's no there there is no new generation like <laughs> uh, royal crown was overthrown uh th- this i mean I had an alternative theory about the commercials for this year, and I don't want to. Put Wait, it out I want there. one more. I want one more ethnic, okay, okay, okay. ethnicity. Sure. Give me one more ethnicity. Sure, of course. One. Take your time. And the, yep. so, <laughs> thank you. Then the um, so the the idea with these is that they're I think they're they're programming to a multi ethnic audience. You know what I mean? They're not they're not programming to an audience of American rednecks. They're programming to a multi ethnic or even an international audience with these commercials, except for the Groupon commercial where it was about the oppression of the people of Tibet, but. Uh, uh, there's a great Tibetan <laughs> restaurant, and we all we all got a Groupon for them. And, and I mean, and that's the reactionary. I mean, kind of the way Coke's branding is often kind of reactionary in the ways that you describe. This was the you know this was the um, the reactionary version of that trend, which is what confirms to me in my mind that it's a trend. You know what I mean? That someone feels compelled to buck it, or someone that th- thinks that bucking the trend is a is a uh, is a good move marketing wise. Anyway, so Pete, you were going to alter offer an alternative. Well, here, let me the... let me throw one more in there, and this is so I don't I think this was a regional commercial. So I think that that this was a regional commercial. I don't think it aired nationally. Did you guys get commercials for the Sleepy's chain of mattress uh, man, uh, uh, retailers? No, we got a uh, my my one local commercial the whole time was a furniture store. Uh, okay, so we got a, we had a couple of of local commercials, and and I would have put this as my favorite commercial, except that I know that not everybody got to see it, but there was a really good Sleepy's commercial that was advertising Sealy's uh, mattresses, not Simmons. Simmons has had some problems business-wise because it keeps getting brought private and having its debt restructured and then being spun off public without the reserves to survive. But anyway, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, but there was a commercial and all it was, was it was couples like post-coitally, like flopping back onto a bed, like with sheets neatly tucked in under their armpits. And they were like, they were mixed race couples, like there were white couples, black couples, like white guy, Asian girl, like people who are sort of new face of America, some of my friends would say, um, you know, like Tiger Woodsian, as it were, Cablasian, um, and whatnot. And it was like, they were all really happy. And like, and there was just like a bunch of shots of like one of them kind of trying to look at the other, or like the other one being kind of tired, but really happy. And, and it's just like, it's like a series of these things to some cool music. And it's just has a really good feel about it and then it just says it's better with springs and the words like bounce <laughs> uh, and it's like get a Sealy's mattress and there was just like this everybody in the room was like wow you know like 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 wow like I, it's about time the traditional mattresses started throwing heat at all that nasa bullshit <laughs> <laughs> like this is what you want to do on a mattress like yeah and we thought about all the old mattress thing where it's like come to mattress discounters well you'll get three hundred dollars off a king cobra mattress like that, that's not a real thing uh, <laughs> so forth and i just thought it was really wonderful and positive now it was also very multi-ethnic right it was like very and very multi-ethnic in like a 
you know, the last, so when you're talking about uh, assimilation, like uh, the process of assimilation ethnically, um, and, and of course this is not a, a subject upon which there is universal agreement, but um, a lot of sort of consensus academic agreement, as I understand it from various circles and classes and whatnot, is that there's a number of different stages that civilizations go through as they are dealing with like, assimilating a new ethnic group, right? Uh, or, or a group that has to change its social position uh, for some sort of economic reason generally or political reason. And, and one of the last ones is always miscegenation, right? The last step is are people intermarrying? Like are people getting together? Are they, as Bullworth, as Bullworth would say, oh, we are bleeping until we're all the same color, right? Uh, is that happening? And, and until that's happening, you still have like a degree of separation, which by necessity leads to social inequality and, and legal and de facto problems, uh, which is, of course, a fairly strong statement to make and one that not everybody would agree with, but one that tends to bear out, which is that like, if you do have institutional separations, it is almost certain that you're going to have problems right? Um, that have to do with those institutional separations. And so to see everybody enjoying like the sex on the Sealy mattress uh, you know, across these different ethnicities were like, very affirming and nice. And I mean, I bring that up because it's a transition right? between you saying that there was an ethnic theme to the commercials, and I see what you're talking about like i see the ethnic theme that you're talking about but i saw another theme from the commercial and I, it started oh excuse me it's my bus <laughs> what, I, it, it just kept driving uh, it, it was the hydraulics can you play a hydraulic sound effect so that i can get on the bus after <laughs> it's been, oh there you. Okay. Beep, so the, <laughs> i didn't want to on this this, this uh, doritos truck um but no uh so the theme that i noticed was was aggression and violence right like there was a there was there were in the first quarter there were three commercials in which the product being advertised was used as a projectile weapon against somebody in the commercial <laughs> <laughs> and it was two pepsi max commercials because is that so so oh yeah great- the nut shot with the pepsi mat right so this is a great example of different perspectives on a commercial, right? So there was a commercial where there was the black guy and the black woman, and they, they, the black guy keeps doing things the black woman doesn't like, right? And so it, it has that sort of, like, taste of this sort of, um, you know, ma- I need to remasculinize myself. And the thing that they can agree on, I think he was on a diet or something. The room was very loud. I had difficulty saying, hearing exactly what was being said. But, um, but the thing he was allowed to do was drink the Pepsi Max because his, his, the wife was also drinking the Pepsi Max. And I think it's because he was trying to lose weight and, or something like that. And she was trying to take away the things that he liked. Um, and so they, As they, women do. As they do in commercials, because you need to create an anxiety relievable by purchase, which is why these commercials exist, because you want to make people worried about themselves, so they'll try to make themselves feel better by buying your product. Um, and so then a like pretty white girl sits down next to the black guy and he's like, Hey, and then she throws the can of Pepsi at him and he ducks and it hits her in the head and she like falls on the ground and that like, and they instantly bond and like run off together, right? Like the the two. Ethnicity. (laughs) Were you going to follow that with another word or were you just going to say ethnicity? (laughs) No, that's all I was going to say. So so you can see, so this is sort of a nexus for me between three different themes that we've talked about. There's definitely a theme of like. Demasculinization and remasculinization, you know, like take our country back kind of stuff. Like, I need to be a man again. I need, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's a lot of it has to do with, uh, I mean, I think we talked about this before. There's a political aspect. I tend to think that it has to do with demographics a lot, that there's a lot of older men who are divorced, right, um, in the country who like are having issues with their jobs and stuff. And like these people are, they're speaking to those people, right? And they, these are people who are on the edge of retirement and they, they, you know, they, they're the people we're advertising to for a lot of these products. There's definitely the aspect of ethnicity there because there's this divide between the black and white and how they're supposed to get along and who are you selling this product to and all that other stuff. But there was definitely like a, 
I'm going to feel good about the violent release that's in this commercial. Uh, and, I, and it happened when there was a commercial for Bud Light where they were sword fighting, right? And they threw a, a Bud Light at somebody. There was another Pepsi Max commercial. There was the commercial where uh, Roseanne uh, Barr, Arnold, whatever her name is, was hit by a tree in the face. Well, I want to talk about that one because that, that was the one where the Snickers made the guy from a you know, whiny, neurotic New York Jew uh, into a uh, – sorry? Richard Lewis is the name. Yeah, it was yes. Richard Lewis. Yeah, well, uh, to a um, into a uh, what a strapping lumberjack with a beard. Actually, the, the presence or absence of beards, I mean, seemed to be <laughs> kind of a, a meta theme of the whole, you know, of the whole Super Bowl experience, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I've, I do. You, do you want to say anything more about that particular commercial? Um, Yeah, it's it's funny because like so as much as it seemed to be about masculinity, it also seemed to be about a a sort of heartland America versus an elite coastal America. And Roseanne was the kind of annoying was the symbol not only of uh, sort of annoying, sort of uh, cloying, harping, shrewish femininity, but also of, um, you know, also of Hollywood. Right. She's a. A TV star. And, right. I, you know, how far we've come, right, from when her sitcom was the, the blue-collar sitcom, you know, about a working-class family that struggled to pay the bills and face challenges, uh, probably more akin to the challenges its viewers were facing than the challenges its actors were facing. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Um, I mean, it's... Yeah, that, that, sorry, that, that, yeah, yeah. I just, I just thought that that, uh, that was sort of... Uh, that, that was sort of interesting that, that you know, she's conscripted into... Um, doing that anyway yeah and it's funny because i mean in the contract in the construct that we're dealing with in this commercial she is actually a lumberjack who is is like acting like her because he is undernourished right and then like once he gets nourished again he's going to be a lumberjack again which is a remasculinization but there's also i mean i feel like there's this undercurrent i mean richard lewis isn't a bad person to be right and like it's not bad to be richard lewis you see richard lewis with a chainsaw and you're like that's kind of cool Right. But like they know that the person ought to be somebody else. Um, I don't know. I, I definitely think that there's an undercurrent of of a different. I mean, it, we're oversimplifying it sometimes when, when we say it's about masculinity, uh, because I do think that there's a lot of stuff that's bound up in the symbolism of masculinity that may also be serving other purposes. But let me bring up a, a different a different commercial for a second. Um, oh, what was the one that I wanted to talk about? Um, oh, gosh. I mean, of course, House hits the guy with the cane. There's just – oh, I remember. I remember what I was going to say. Uh, I, I came up with a saying, which is that you can always judge the times by the Super Bowl commercial that has the monkeys in it because uh, there's always a Super Bowl commercial that has monkeys in it. And, and it's, huh. it's usually – and, and what it's going to be for is it's going to be for a site that like didn't have a pre-existing Super Bowl-worthy marketing campaign and for some reason probably doesn't feel like it ought to invest in one for the future. right? So it's like something that like right now we need a Super Bowl commercial. We're not going to need one tomorrow. We didn't need one yesterday. But right now we need a Super Bowl commercial. And so like during the dot-com boom, there were a, a bunch of monkey-ish commercials where it's just like, ah, oh, it's a bunch of bullshit. Right? Like, oh, it's a monkey dancing. There's like E-Trade had a monkey commercial. That was the best one of the dot-com one. There's those commercials that's like, hey, we spent $2 million on nothing. Right, it was very portentous. Where like people would just put up. That's a like of yeah. Text. I mean, that's that's funny. That's a joke akin to like a Family Guy joke, where they'll cut to Conway Twitty singing for you know a minute. And right, yeah. the idea is that we're burning, we're burning like Fox primetime airtime. Yeah. 
Uh, well, it's a joke from a speculative, overcapitalized like like society, right? Right. Just what we had uh, for a while, and um, and so and then we had uh, monkeys for eBay when people were selling all their stuff. This year, the monkeys were in a commercial for Career Builder right. that involved a bunch of cars crashing into each other. Right. Right. Like like a guy was trying to park his car and it kept getting hit by these old beaters. It was all these old beaten up old cars and they were just smashing into each other. Right? Driven by monkeys and the monkeys Driven were by monkeys. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly, and then because he's trying to go to work, and he's like working with monkeys, because uh, monkeys get to be in suits, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, and I and I think that this for me spoke. They also to this they don't man. need to open the door because they can climb out the window and onto the <laughs> roof of the car, <laughs> which and, is why they don't have to worry about giving ample clearance when they're parking in parking garage exactly. or parking lots. This there's a whole structure on this commercial that <laughs> makes the narrative work. Somebody had to go through all these things and was like, it doesn't matter if the monkeys can't open the door; they can go out the window because they're monkeys. And by the way. They they weren't monkeys. They were chimpanzees. And I mean, I think that when I see a chimpanzee on a TV show or a uh, commercial, I feel like calling it a monkey seems like semantically appropriate because that's kind of what they're going for. But it's not a monkey. It's an ape. Uh, and I know this. But it, it, but if I say like, oh, there's an ape in the commercial, it creates a very different sense. Like there's a different connotation because it's not there to be an ape. It's there to be a monkey, uh, even if it isn't a monkey because it doesn't have tail and it's of a different order or what have you. Or not a different order, different uh, uh, as a genus, class, family, I guess, probably. Um, I, I can't even remember off the top of my head what the, the taxonomy of it is. But like I felt like a lot of the commercials had this really strong sense of release that was associated with violent acts and violent acts that weren't necessarily done for a reason that was particularly pressing. Right? It's like, oh, I'm swashbuckling and I need to hit you. Like, oh, there's this little kid who wants to give me like a tostada or whatever. I got to hit him. Like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to hit this. I'm going to, um, you know, hit this lady in the head with a soda can. Right? Um, it, it just, it felt like I'm going to hit this person with a tree. Like it just felt like a lot of America's Funniest Home Videos kind of stuff, but it also kind of felt like if we're trying to access something, it's this like welling, non-specific anger. That, so we've gone from the point where people are mourning the loss of their jobs and they're mourning the, the economy and they're mourning like the decline and influence of the country or of their livelihoods. And this is a global event, right? So it's not just the country, but it's a, a zeitgeist thing, right? They're mourning. They're sad. And we've gone from that now to the point where people are angry and they want to see people get hurt. Uh, which is, I mean, and of course, this is, again, an oversimplification. It's always an oversimplification. But I feel like there, there is a narrative that that slices into. And like if we want to joke about how we're watching the Super Bowl while the people in Egypt are you know conducting a revolution like our commercials are not so far off the mark in terms of identifying like what is happening in Egypt to an extent which is like a broad non-specific anger that comes from like years and years of pent-up frustration right and, and a bunch of other stuff that that is often there like people are usually angry on some level or another it's not a novel thing for people to be angry people people have the capacity for a lot of things you know like so they do a lot of stuff but um there are mitigating factors that stop anger from boiling over or that keep it from from uh absorbing quite as much momentum as it has at the time well and, it's i you know an interesting thing when that i mean when that kind of thing is narrativized is who how is the enemy represented you know what I mean? Mm, and last mm, yeah. last year it was largely women. You know what I mean? Yeah, Who were yeah, sort yeah. of harpies. It's no women this time, but I think this time around the women seemed a lot less. The women who were actually hurt seemed a lot less like aware of what was going on. Like they they seemed to sort of be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the audience was put in the place of being satisfied by them being blindsided. 
right? Like, uh, I get that seemed to me that, that was the feeling. It's like the people who are hurt, like in the commercial where the guy runs off and steals all the people's computers, and like breaks into houses or whatever, whatever he does to try to stop the email that he sent out by accident to everybody, right? Like it's this tremendous spree that he goes on. And none of the people who have their computers stolen know why he stole the computers. We don't care. And like he doesn't really care at the end all that much either. It's not really like a huge deal. Like, oh my god, he's going to go to prison because he just committed thirty counts of breaking and entering in five minutes. Um, no, it's that there's this satisfaction of just busting stuff up. Uh, see, I'm trying to keep us below the number of chili peppers on Eudora that we know that we would average if I were cursing as many times. <laughs> well, the the idea. Um... Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the the idea in that one, it's about a it's about a technical anxiety, a technical problem that we've all had, which is you know accidentally replying to all. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, on an, on an email, I think that the, this, this year there were a lot of aliens, you know what I mean? There were a yeah. lot of like forces, even in like, uh, Mars needs moms, you know, so they're yeah. stealing, you know, they're stealing our mothers or cowboys versus aliens where the sort of hero of the American frontier, you know, the, the ultra masculine, uh, you know, that like a cowboy is actually kind of prohibited in the mythology and the iconography of cowboy movies from entering society at all. Right, like right. You, you, the cowboy can't stay in town. He rides off into the sunset at the end of the right. at the end of the movie. You know, yeah. um, wagons uh, east. Richard Lewis callback. <laughs> <laughs> John Candy, peace be upon him. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, right. That um, that these sort of hyper masculine. Uh, symbols of 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 American self sufficiency, right, are going to combat uh, kind of a, a vague, unknowable threat from without. Uh, viz aliens, you know. Yeah, the uh, aliens were one of the people who stole that car in the abscondment commercial that we were talking about. <laughs> yes. And, yeah, and it's, ah, it's a- yes, the Yoli ab- abscondment plot. I mean, there was the well, Transformers. They- oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, well, the, the counterpoint to that was there was a lot of sort of very uh, pro-domestic um, advertising. There's the, the Chevy Volt ad about sort of the American-powered electric car. Yeah. There was one about – was it – I forget which company it was, but some cars making – some American companies making a luxury car and was like putting down sort of the effete European luxury cars of the past – well, that was uh, Audi, was a, which, is, which is Scandinavian, right? Audi was uh, – But was there was also – there's a there's BMW. A oh, sorry. BMW being made. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, there's a there's a commercial about B, uh, BMWs being made in uh, in the South, right? Yeah, yeah. But there uh, also was being, no. Audi the, was being positioned as as not foreign, even though it is foreign. Yeah. The the Audi yeah. ad. The well, the Audi ad about the uh, kind of the millionaires uh, uh, escaping from jail, right? Yeah. yeah Do you yeah. remember that one? Uh, that that was an interesting ad. That's probably worth devoting some time to. So there's a, a sort of gilded prison, right, with, um, you know, a great hall with sort of, you know, French uh, uh, Renaissance like paintings on the ceiling, you know, or French Enlightenment sort of paintings on the ceiling. Right. And, uh, you know, gold columns and gold bars and I don't know, velvet uh, upholstered wing chairs in all of the cells and Persian carpets and, you know, luxurious beds where a bunch of, uh, you know, upper class looking um, what sort of uh, Thurston Howell types, right? Who who I I was imagining stood in for like Bernie Madoff or you know corporate criminals yeah. or something like this, um, mm-hmm. or uh, or just the wealthy generally the or you know or Wall Street or something. The idea being that their gains are are ill gotten and kind of unfairly yeah. gotten as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know they're imprisoned in this. Uh, 
in this gilded prison and uh, two men escape um, and go through, a, you know, do a series of, of stunts to escape while, you know, their fellow inmates um, look on and say things like, good show, old chap, <laughs> and, you know, and things, things like things of this nature. And then at the end, you know, one is, is ushered into a chauffeur driven Mercedes and the other uh, hops into his own Audi. And it turns out that the Mercedes was a trap and he, yeah. uh, he has returned to jail, but the Audi guy escapes. Yeah. And, and this is supposed to, this is supposed to be satisfying that the, that the Audi guy escapes, right? Like, isn't this prison? What, what does this prison represent? Do you think who are these people in the prison? And, uh, and what is Audi trying to say, trying to position itself as in this, uh, in this commercial? Mm. Well, I'll first say uh, that I have to make issue a correction. Audi's German. It isn't Scandinavian. I confuse it with Saab, I believe. Although now I have to go check that as well. Um, but I mean, so the, the tagline is, and I actually ha- I actually watched some of the online content for this campaign because they were advertising it on the New York Times, and I watched this wonderful like five to ten minute interview with Kenny G, where he talks about being the riot suppression specialist at this luxury prison, and how he like has to go and play his saxophone in different events to like calm people down when they don't get enough caviar and they start getting upset. And he has to go to like they have to like pipe his soprano sax over the and they all calm down. And it's, it's a very extensive campaign. So, but the campaign tagline is what, like, like liberate yourself from, like, the, the old luxury or whatever? Yeah. So, so Audi is not trying – Audi is, is trying to market itself to people who buy luxury cars, right? So it's not like, um, it's not like the Chrysler that Eminem is driving to the gospel choir. Uh, another an angry man who's dealing with an ethnic situation, right? Like, um, so so both of those themes. So it's not like that. It's not like oh, this is like also a man who's who's, who's struggled with struggled with issues of masculinity and sort of his place in family life uh, and and violence, you know, right, as well, right. right? Yeah, but he was positioned here as a sort of representative of home and hearth. But that's the that's Eminem. Uh, he, he's also apparently brisk baby, which is who thought that campaign was coming back? Like, huh? Okay. <laughs> like, I, but I did you see the did funny. you see the packaging on that? They look now like they look like cans of Red Bull. They have the tall, skinny cans now. Yeah. So, so they're trying to market it to a different audience now. Yeah. Different kids. But but badass iced tea. Badass. Get in so, your dodge. So I mean, there's been a lot of like like crud thrown at the idea of being rich culturally, right? Like a lot of people have been very mad at it. And it's not that the anger isn't justified, but it is fairly nonspecific, right? And this is a very similar, again, to the situation in Egypt. Like people and their emotions and their collective emotions are generally not capable of or like or, or – or not capable of. That, that diminishes them too much. But they don't operate on the level of, of uh, complexity and precision of being able to determine in a complex system like who is actually at fault. Like it is, that is why we have scapegoats because it's very easy to redirect public anger at people. So you can be angry at the rich – Right. But but like you don't necessarily know exactly what person you're angry at. So I think that um, and one of those things about putting out the hue and cry about being angry at the rich is that like part of the people who hear the hue and cry are people who might be classified as the rich. And they also get angry at the rich. Right. Who are in a vague sense themselves, but they see as an other because they're positioned as an other. Right. So these are these are people who don't think of themselves as as fancy pants people as like, you know, old as West Egg Right, which which is the one in the Great Gatsby? That's the old-fashioned one versus the new-fashioned one, West Egg and East Egg. Um, they're not the they're the new money. They're not the old money. They don't see themselves as part of this sort of uh, idle uh, inherited. Um, even if they have inheritances, this sort of like in, uh... idle, stuffy, like like stagnant imprisoned aging they're so old. All the people in the prison are so old, except for the person who escapes a little, is a little younger. I think right. 
Yeah, um, is maybe in his 40s, sure. So, so basically what we're doing is we, we are appealing to people who want to see the rich as an other who have enough money to buy a luxury car and, and sort of giving them a reason to think of themselves as apart from and superior to the people who are being blamed for a lot of society's problems right now. I mean, that's, that's how I see it, is it's like we're giving them something to be charged up about for themselves. Like, I'm going to get this car because I want a luxury car, but I don't want other people to think of me as a fat cat. Right, because I'm not a fat cat. I work hard. I play hard. I've got a lot of money. I'm I'm spending all. I think I'm I'm a little bit I'm a little bit closer to Little Wayne than to uh, you know uh, um, like John D. Rockefeller. You know what I mean? It's like I I, I roll on dubs. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my dubs may involve NPR from time to time, but they're still dubs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That that's my sense of it. My sense of it is that that there's this monolithic sense of the rich that a lot of the people who are conceived of as the rich by like the people who are making the messaging uh, don't see themselves as part of and don't identify with, and and those people are who this ad is for. Um, that that's and a lot of them are younger. A lot of them are self-made. That that's my take on it anyway. Sure. Josh, we totally I mean, I, yeah. we totally bogarted your point. Where were you? It was, were you going to go more or less in that direction? Pretty much. I'm sorry, Josh. Are you mad? I'm not mad at all. He's I've got the- my pri- my private jet is right here. He's going to launch a he's going to launch a can of Pepsi at your nads. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. No, but I've, I've been talking way too much. I want to hear some of what Josh is thinking about all this stuff because I know Josh Josh is is fairly cognizant of like you know these sort of issues of social pressure and sort of cultural identification and like caste and class and all this other stuff. Well, the um, that did that actually struck me a lot in that ad of the sort of the fact that they would advertise luxury cars on at the Super Bowl. To me, that just seems like a waste of money. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you don't think they, that rich people like football? Rich people do like football, but they like other things that not everybody else in the world likes. So there's cheaper ways to get to them. Ah, um, I got, gotcha. You know, like everybody can, everybody will buy a Coke. So you want, you know, Coke makes sense to hit the Super Bowl. Um, the, the one that really struck me was the home away. Did you guys catch that on? Yeah. Well, was that for like a service where you like rent people's houses? What was that for? I yeah, didn't know. I think like, that's what it's for. It's like oh, instead okay. of hotels now, you can go stay in someone else's house. Right. And I don't know who the market is for that. <laughs> is that, is that, is that, Audi, is that, you know, uh, is that Lexus buyers or is that? Dodge buyers. I, I honestly have no idea. Because well, they showed that house that was that crazy, like uh, artistically architectured house on that like promontory on that cliff, right? Yeah, it was like a James Bond villain house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's um, what it is. Well, but yeah. the people in it were generally family people. Like they had like a bazillion kids, and they couldn't keep them all. And that like because the baby was horribly injured, which was another yes. act of violence that was just totally unacceptable. Like yes. the baby getting crushed as it hit the glass. Like what was up with that? That baby didn't do anything wrong. Like why is it getting hurt like that? I loved I loved the little you know the tag that's really forced on it at the end. Like that's a test baby. Like huh. at the, the, the baby, baby, the baby hits yeah. the glass, and like clearly someone was watching it, and a lawyer was like, "No, no, 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 no! You got to make it clear that that was not a real kid." <laughs> um, so I, I, I wish I could have heard that discussion. The other one that that, that sort of hit me was uh, was using Eminem in like the in the Detroit Pride one, which I guess was also was it Dodge or Chevrolet? That was Chrysler. That was Chrysler. 
Chrysler. Right? Yeah, it was. Yes. Yeah, which actually still has a number, a lot of factories in in Michigan and Detroit, but also around that area of the Midwest. Yeah, despite yeah, its bankruptcy. No. It's great. I mean, you know, I, I've got a lot of friends from Detroit who say that, you know, who truly love the town. And it's apparently a great town. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad to hear it's sort of undergoing a bit of a resurgence. Um, but it, he just seemed an odd spokesman for that to me. The, the Detroit's like 84 percent African-American. Um, there have been quite a few famous African-Americans come out of Detroit. And like, why Eminem? What about well, I mean, the, the greater Detroit metropolitan area has a, a different sort of ethnic makeup, I think, doesn't it, than the core city itself? Um, well, although I don't – I, I guess I think if you're trying to pick somebody from Detroit who will appeal to black people, I don't know if Eminem is the worst choice, right, because he's a rapper. I mean I, maybe I'm being silly there. Maybe that may be somebody – Black what? people like hip-hop. I mean you say it as if it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess it's true. When said disdainfully, anything can sound untrue. Well, a lot right? of people like hip hop. People all over the world like hip hop. Like, what was I heard a statistic that's so old that it's got to be wrong by now that like seventy percent of rap albums were bought by white kids. But, um, but I, so I'm not saying that like I'm not trying to coordinate it off. I'm just saying that like. I mean, who else are you going to pick? Like Barry Sanders? Like, like he's not played football in quite some time, and nobody wants to be reminded of the Lions like pretty much ever for any reason, let alone a football game. That's the last place you want to be reminded of the Detroit Lions is at a football game. Um, sorry, this is a sports joke that Matt isn't going to get because he was too busy doing his Pilates or something. Uh, I guess he, he made the excellent point that I, I don't have a better suggestion than him, but I guess it was the fact of sort of him being in the, the claymation T ad. Yeah. Then that one just was sort of jarring, I think. It was he weird that he was, one, yeah. Yeah, I think it yeah, would have been yeah. fine, but like, it, it, but you're like, wait, because you've already sort of the first ad was all about not being a shill, and then he comes in and is sort of, and then is very sort of a sentimental shill for his own hometown. It was right. just like totally, completely wrong. Yeah, yeah, it, it just, was weird. Yeah, definitely, definitely. The juxtaposition was, yeah, I, I get you. It was yeah. also weird that he was one of the most prominent people at the Super Bowl because he was in two different Super Bowl commercials for two different companies that both played during the game. Like even Justin Bieber only got half a commercial, right? Yeah. So, it, so it's – and like Eminem, I mean he did come out with a new album like this past year, right, in 2010 I guess, uh, which had that Not Afraid song on it. And he is the you know, best-selling artist, a musical artist of the 2000s you know, and like one of the sort of big – uh, popular cultural figures for music, I guess. That's but it's around these days. But I mean, although he was sort of in hiding for a while, I heard he gained and lost a lot of weight during that time, and he had some drug problems or whatever they had to clean up. Hey, but Pete, like, yeah, what's a Bieber? <laughs> that commercial was so disappointing. I want I I had seen commercials for that commercial or what have you like promotions for that commercial. I was really looking forward to it, and it ended up being such a piece of nonsense. But uh, I was like, oh, Ozzy Osbourne and Justin Bieber in the same commercial together. This is gonna be great. And it wasn't. There wasn't anything at all. It's only thirty seconds long, and it didn't say anything. But anyway, um, it is weird that Eminem is there. I mean, I think that it does speak to this sort of undercurrent of rage, um, and I think it speaks to a sort of uh, you know change. Uh, there, the people are paying close attention to the marketability of celebrities. You didn't see a lot of celebrity pitch people 
in a lot of these commercials. That is another note, right? Like, like I don't. Rem- I mean, I don't know how popular that generally is, but I don't remember there being a great many endorsements. I mean, there was the Kim Kardashian endorsing, like, um, what did she endorse? The Skechers, like, the Shape Up shoe, oh, the shoes that make it harder to walk under the theory that you will therefore walk with greater effort and burn more calories. Well, it's like standing. You know, it's like standing. Have you ever done a workout on a Bosu ball? You know, it's. I guess this is something that I do in my coastal elite yeah. Pilates. <laughs> I used a Bosu ball. I used a Bosu ball like yesterday. I would have said I used it today, but today I was doing kettlebells. So like I am, you know, pot kettle ethnicity. Like there you go. <laughs> um, wait, no, that was that joke was a little bit weird. Um, but but I do think that those shoes are nonsense because why not just walk more in the same shoes? I guess they they say that uh, what is it harder to balance? Like why don't I just like walk around in those like wooden Japanese sandals if I really want to like work on my balance? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't understand if it's not fulfilling its its role as a shoe, which is to make it easier to walk. Like why am I buying it in the first place? Um, but then again, but th- but putting that aside for a moment, like I don't remember there being like a lot of commercials where it's like oh i'm joe namath or like even like something like i'm britney spears for pepsi wasn't really hi there. i'm I mean, I i'm joan rivers for, and, what i'm joan rivers and uh, yeah but even that was making fun of it because it's like who's the big star there is no big star and at this point danica as far as i'm concerned danica patrick is like a GoDaddy employee who races cars on the side huh, right? huh. like, like <laughs> but uh but it's like and also i don't think she was ever really all that great as a race car driver right i mean like i mean she's good she's better than i am but like i don't i don't think that i think she was put on the stage because she's got a you know she's a woman with a pretty face no and, yeah no. Well, she, she didn't even how dare you? How dare you, Mr. Fenzel, in, uh, you know, impugn the in, uh, integrity of GoDaddy.com. <laughs> dot co. Remember, they ran dot, dot co. Five oh, God. For, yeah. Uh, dot co. Yeah. GoDaddy.com, a, a website registrar and uh, a, a domain name registrar and website host that I have never had anything to do with. And I would say a decidedly overpriced domain registrar and host. But yeah, whatever. maybe. I did really enjoy the fact that they tried to make .co seem like the cool, hip new thing. Yeah, it's like, like they're painting like, the like that had been that had been coming for a while, and like that was the trend, and they were just letting us know about it. I thought that was really nice of them. Yeah, where's where's uh, also the, the other one that, uh, that that struck me that way was uh, the Daily, the new Fox uh, tablet magazine. Oh, that thing has me so worried, but I don't want to get too political about it. Anyway, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the News Corp thing. Well, it's a joint yeah. venture, I guess, between News Corp and and Apple in a certain. In a certain respect, that is a lot of the technology, I guess, was done by Apple. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just, I was always concerned when any sort of like politically oriented organization wants to install something on everybody's phones. But whatever, I'm a little bit silly along those lines. I no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there, Pete. But, 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 the, but the idea of like, you're going to get news on your computer or phone. <laughs> wow. Presume. Yeah, I can always call someone who's read the newspaper. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> never think of that. You know, I'd be like, hey, mom, what was in the newspaper today? And she'd be like, well, I read the Trenton Star Ledger and the Hamiltonian is coming up. And I'd be like, what's that? And she'd be like, the premier race in harness racing. Wow. <laughs> that's the Meadowlands. Wow, that's great. You know, how are you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. I'm sorry. I haven't called. It's like, oh, it's okay. You know, everything's going all right. We're just all busy. Yeah. <laughs> And then it just sort of trails off. And then you walk into the sunset because it's the end of the cowboy movie. Um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they were there. Isn't that amazing? Like, certain things can never replace. I guess this is what AOL thinks their, like, journalism play is, that, like, they're going to replace the, like, the hyper-local news sources, like the free, you know, like the throwaways, the kind of the tabloid throwaways, I guess, like the Village Voice or something like that. You know, when I moved back to L.A. last year or a year before last, the the ads at the back of that used to be all, like, massage parlors and uh, escorts, and now it's all medical marijuana. It's wall-to-wall pot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, get a a medical marijuana entitlement card. Get, you you know, get your pot here. Uh, There's a a pot dispensary right down the street from my house in a former Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wow. I know. I actually – I wish they still it, served Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm right? feeling like whoever closed the Kentucky Fried Chicken made an error in their judgment in terms of when they were going to shutter their business. Right. Um, yeah, but I don't know. Am I remiss in this? But it just – it didn't seem to me like these commercials had a great deal invested in celebrity pitch people. No, you're right. But, yeah, but Eminem seems to occupy a strange space because he's – because we definitely have very fetishized celebrity right now. Um, you know, he's and, an anti. Like, yeah, he's kind of an anti-celebrity, right? Yeah, he, he's not like uh, he's not gonna have a baby bump anytime soon. Uh, he's like, oh, what is he wearing? Oh my God, it's a hooded sweatshirt. Worst <laughs> dress, best dress. Um, which I think brings me, of course, to the greatest celebrity of all who was present all of these, and probably the best commercial overall, which was for the Chicago coat. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Delroy Lindo. Starring Delroy Lindo. And, who, Jennifer, recall, and Jennifer Beals. You, you may remember Delroy Lindo as the guy from The Devil's Advocate who was slaughtering goats in his basement. And Keanu Reeves had to defend, I think, in a, in a lawsuit. Uh, I love Delroy Lindo. He's awesome. He's like one of those journeymen of black Hollywood that just like has done a mazillion things and is totally overqualified for all of them. What do we say? We like actors who work. That's true. That's true. That's definitely true. And I just – I thought I thought that the, the Super Bowl was definitely missing a ridiculous and soon-to-be-canceled show by Fox that needed to be promoted in an ostentatious way. Like the Chicago Code, we're making a big deal out of it, but it was very unremarkable in terms of how it was advertised. It's just like, it's a cop show. It's it not was, different yeah, from and any the, of the other cop shows. Well, and the one thing that, that does it for me is that it's, you know, it's uh, from Sean Ryan who, who made The Shield, which is – Oh, you know, so it's probably going to be good. Well, it may be stuff. good. It may have good things about it, but yeah. it's – you know, it's he had great success on um, he had great success on FX. Well, Terriers notwithstanding, but uh, but Terriers? like a, was it about dogs? Or no, about it was the- not. Yeah, you see, there you go. Yes. <laughs> Case in point, you don't it was it was end. the greatest show that no one ever watched. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's unfortunate. It was, it was the big the Big Lebowski the TV show. It was great. Oh wow, yeah. that sounds awesome. Oh, it was about a bowling league or something. Sadly, no. But oh. similar, similarly, We're never. You know what? It's been lost to the mist of time. We will it never has. find out what the show is yeah. about ever, ever, yeah. ever. But I miss, I miss Ron Silver from that World Series. I missed they, this Super Bowl needed its father as the district attorney moment. Like very little was very quotable from anything that happened. <laughs> um, like you know, and everybody, all that everybody wanted to talk about was was about how Ben Roethlisberger was getting his just punishment for being a horrible sexual assaulter. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wanted him to win because he's terrible. And I agree. I don't want it. I don't want him to win. I sent out a tweet right after it was over that was like, hey, what are you going to do next? I was like, I'm going to have consensual sex because I'm not Ben Roethlisberger. And I'm, I won the Super Bowl because he lost. Um, but yeah, so I feel like it's important to rub it in his face because he did a horrible thing. Um, but it's interesting that like that was the big story. You know, like I don't see anything else coming out of this cultural event. Although the halftime show, what did you guys think of the halftime show? Oh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was like uh, uh, Power Rangers at Nuremberg or something, right? Like... <laughs> 
it was it was like it was like a uh, it's like a Drury Lane Theater production of Copenhagen by by like Berlin discotheque. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Oh man, it was bonkers. I thought it was terrible at first, and then Slash was there for no reason. <laughs> then it was awesome. <laughs> and when that guy who had the mohawk, who I didn't even know was in the group, started singing terribly, I was like, "Oh, oh, it's gonna be a long one." And somebody started switching to the Kitty halftime show, and was like, "No, we are not done with this yet. We don't know what's going to happen." And then Slash showed up, and it was awesome. I think I think my best, uh, and again, I'm monopolizing the conversation. I apologize, but my favorite moment from the conversation I had after the halftime show was everybody was like, that was terrible. And I was like, that was awesome. And, <laughs> and they were like, what do you mean? Like when the thing is so bad, you have to be like, oh, let's just throw a bunch of celebrities into it. We have to. Then that makes it terrible. I was like, if your halftime show is so bad that in order to make it awesome, you have to have Usher fly in on a cable harness, take the harness <laughs> off and immediately jump into a dance number before jumping eight feet in the air and doing a split over Will I Am onto the ground in the front, in the middle of the Super Bowl. If you have to do that to make it awesome guess what you just made it awesome <laughs> like, it, it is done like it has been finished <laughs> if usher had flown in on a cable harness dianu <laughs> if usher had flown in on a cable harness and gone straight into that you know that oh 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 dance number dianu you know you know what it reminded me of it reminded me of that wonderful scene that heath ledger does in the dark night where he comes out in front of the camera in the nurse's outfit in front of the hospital and he has this little bit of business that he does with the remote before he detonates the bomb that blows up the hospital and it's all done in one shot and and he you, and you know that this shot costs like millions of dollars or what have you and that you and there's like a solid like 20 seconds of Heath Ledger doing like acting <laughs> and like if he gets that take wrong like it's done right like if he gets that take wrong the expense to everybody involved is tremendous and the way he does it is so sort of like he takes risks with it and he's so fresh with it and it feels so playful and cool and awesome that like I was really impressed by that scene in that movie like that was probably the scene in that movie that impressed me more than either scene is the scene where he comes out in the nurse's outfit and he hits the button and blows up the hospital and i felt like when usher the most impressive thing in that whole halftime show is that usher comes down on the cable takes off the harness and immediately jumps into the dance number yeah has less than a measure yeah has less than a measure before the downbeat of his dance the mark and he's totally there and he's totally great at it it was pretty awesome He's committed to it too. Like he's you can tell it when he's dancing, he's not just hitting the marks. Like uh, Usher is not there's this sort of interplay between the lead dancer and the backup dancers and that sort of like Michael Jackson derivative form of choreography. And there's a specific person who choreographs those dances who did it for Michael Jackson too, I think, whose name escapes me at the moment, who done a lot of says, Oh, everybody stand in a pentagon and do the same thing. Um that sort of thing. Like, uh, and they didn't do everything, but it's like someone who did a, for a lot of these bands that came after Michael Jackson to these groups and this dancing. Um, like, like a lot of the time, the lead singer who's dancing is sort of taking their cues from the backup dancers and kind of relying on them for energy and relying on them to sort of reinforce the forms of the moves that they're doing. Because it's like the singer isn't really committing to it because the singer has to worry about looking good and singing and like being a celebrity and like posing basically while they're doing it uh and then sometimes the person who is in front is in front and everybody else is following them and and there's a a, a sort of like they're a little bit too far in front right but it's the mark of like a consummate dancer that you're able to lead and like let them follow you and and move as a group right and you sort of and you 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 are aggressively attack your own moves so that you still have your individuality but you still hit the marks and keep the form so solidly that um 
that, that it doesn't detract from the composition and that everybody else who's being technically accurate like matches up with you. And I feel like that – I know it wasn't all that fancy, but like I felt like that, that dancing by Usher was really cool and impressive because he was able to do that after what for many people would be a very psychologically harrowing experience of being like lowered from the sky. Yeah. Although I don't know how high up he was. Maybe yeah. he was only like 15 feet, but that's still a fair amount. That's a, well, that's – yeah, that's 15 more feet than you've ever been lowered by a cable from. I mean I don't mean that's you. That's not true. I don't, mean, I don't mean you, Pete Fenzel. Oh. I, yeah, yeah, I mean yeah. one, you know. Yeah, the person that abstract American who's been lowered an average of seven point two feet by cable. <laughs> right. <laughs> not not counting elevators, of course. But it's. I mean, did it strike you? Something was profoundly disturbing to me about the replacement of the audience with the groups of dancers that kind of that went around and formed you know formed pictures on the field uh, with their with their light up suits, their kind of light stick suits. You know, it reminded me some of of um, the opening ceremonies to the Olympics in China. And uh, just that's the, what people said too. People at the party I was at. Said oh, the same really? Thing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so after that, I I read an editorial about about that opening ceremonies, uh, or a, no, an article, a critical article in the New Yorker, um, where the line about that was, "What kind of culture can afford to make pictures out of its people?" You know, that is to say, um, th- this was a great show of uh, of strength, and I guess of like. Economic might and potential military might, um, but you know we were making we were making pictures out of people, and there was something kind of fascistic about that. And the fact that the um, the uh, the pump it, you know, the diagonal fist pump that they were doing looked like a fascist salute was just an unfortunate. Uh, I, this, these are these are tall words from somebody who spent a number of years in a marching band. <laughs> 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 Which, of course, we could have had quite easily. Uh, we could have had a marching band if we wanted. We could have had any number of marching bands. No, but I know what, I know what you mean. I'm less disturbed as a counterpoint. I'm less disturbed by this, not to detract from anything you've said. I'm less disturbed by the dancers replacing the people than I am disturbed by the fake fans who get paid by the show to hold signs and cheer for the people who are on stage. Like, that always makes me feel nasty. Like, it's like, oh, it's a whole bunch of people pretending to like Bon Jovi, right, who are in front of Bon Jovi and have, like, we love you, Bon Jovi signs. Like living on a prayer heart, like drawn by some sort of intern, like not drawn by them at all, uh, and and everybody gets no excited. drawn by. I mean drawn by uh, drawn by you know pentagram, right? The graphic design firm yeah. in, in Manhattan, right? Like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but like drawn to look drawn like by their intern. yeah, yeah <laughs> drawn to look like it was done by a uh, you know I don't know by a shoe salesman. Full circle, yeah. call back, bam. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, it was definitely ostentatious, and it's the Super Bowls, and of course it's ostentatious, and of course the whole thing is a ritual where we watch, like, large groups of people who are, like, fed as much food as possible and, like, trained and, and discarded, right, and to conduct this sort of mock war with each other over territory. Well, especially um, now that we're learning we're learning about kind of the, the, the neurological toll that, that all those concussions take on you. That's true. But I think it's a little bit much to call it fascistic necessarily. Like I would call it martial, right? Like, but fascism – I mean let's not trivialize fascism. Like, like you know – I mean I don't know. <laughs> oh, what was it? What, what was it somebody uh, – what? I'm with you on that, Pete, and, and it actually ties in the, – the martial fits really nicely with all the stuff before the show or before the, the game where they had, you know, the the only Medal of Honor winner since Vietnam came out and was saluted. They did, you know, they had all the football players with the troops. Like, I actually thought they did a really nice job of that. Um, all the pregame stuff with with all of that. They It gets done every year, and sometimes it's done in sort of a really almost jingoistic way, but this time it was done really sort of well, um, yeah. just sort of like respectfully. And, and um, I thought I thought that was good, and and... and 
coming from that, I thought that the, a little bit of, of sort of martial flair to the halftime show sort of fit. But what um, I wrote a, a piece for the site a few months ago about the Black Eyed Peas show, which this was just, I mean, the costumes, everything came straight out of their usual show. Right. Um, and all of the all of the aesthetics, even the, the sort of green arrows of, made of the people looked like their stage show, which is very sort of Tron like futuristic, um, not dystopian, just sort of. Like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an alternate reality that's that's sort of very techno. It's very like techno punk, right? Like. Like it's associated with things that are often dystopian, but it itself is not dystopian. Yeah, it's a kind of it's a kind of looking back at tomorrow, right? Yeah. It's a kind of view vision of the future, circa I don't 84. know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> speaking exactly. of speaking of eighty four, did you notice the Motorola Zoom ad that was that was a um, sort of a tip of the hat to the Apple nineteen eighty four ad? You know, when the Macintosh was introduced, like so that uh, so that nineteen eighty four won't be like nineteen eighty four. The uh, Zoom. A competitor yeah. to the iPad was positioning itself as the as like and as the what the authentic successor to the kind of disruptive um, influence of Apple on a on IBM, I guess. And how can I just say how much great and deep humiliation have we suffered from our Kafka esque like structured life that our great act of rebellion is showing a girl a picture of flowers that we borrow. <laughs> like we're not, we're not smashing big, bro- big brother with a hammer anymore. <laughs> we're like hiding flowers and photographing them, uploading them to like a centrally administered network where we can then like transfer them to our duly apportioned and like accredited device for personal use. And then like transferring that in turn through the system to the module of the person with whom we have like respective and prospective fondness. And like, this is, this is our rebe- rebellion. Like this is the, brick in the wall like i don't know guys like raise the bar for christ's sake pete <laughs> yeah to the cloud <laughs> which is nonsense the cloud is not this abstract concept like there are specific computers that the stuff is going to be on all it means is that it's not going to be in your office i don't like this idea that people are being lackadaisical about knowing where their data is being stored that's just lazy no i, I mean it, I, it, yeah there there are a lot of problems there are a lot of problems with I it i mean cloud is a business strategy granted but i don't think it should be a product um, but of course, everything's a product now. But anyway, we interrupted you, Justin. You had you had you had written because you had gone to see the Black Eyed Peas, so you saw a show that was a lot like this show, right? And you saw a lot of the trappings and the aesthetics and the props and the design that was in that show in the Super Bowl show. Was there anything in there that you saw sort of like a social aspect to it, or like a communicative aspect about the purpose of leadership or power or any of that stuff? Well, the thing the thing that struck me was sort of. The, the Black Eyed Peas are sort of widely considered to be a post-racial group, right? They're one of the few musical groups that's got, you know, um, Fergie's like half Caucasian and half, I think, Puerto Rican. Uh, Will I Am is, is, you know, half and half. Uh, oh, you used a fantastic word earlier referring to Tiger Woods. Oh, um, Cublation? Cublation. Yeah. That yeah. One. I mean, and, and, and the band is essentially Cublation. Um, Although one is Filipino, Tagalog, right? Um, yes. Is the language. They always do like one Tagalog song, which is like out, you know, just there to, to stay legit. But uh, yes. anyway. They're Listen, keeping it real. The, yeah. the, the idea was that, that they would, um, you know, so you've got this, this great thing, which is, you know, I, I actually really applaud the fact that a band that's, that is Cublation like that is so popular. I'm not a huge fan of the music, but I do respect that. But then they sort of cover that up with, like robot masks, which mm. just which struck me as odd. 
Um, yeah. and, and they do it. They did it the same way here. I also like, I've heard this talked about in sports too, where like, you know, sports is one of the places where America really comes together in a multiracial way. Like you're looking at in Pittsburgh, like the great heroes are, are Palomalu, you know, who's a Polynesian, um, uh, player. And then you've got, they've got an African-American coach and, um, you know, Roethlisberger's a white guy from New Mexico. So it's, it's, it is sort of a football and, and sports in general are also sort of a multiracial thing. Um, so I thought that was actually kind of a nice, uh, a nice conflation of, uh, of halftime show to, to the sport that it was, uh, it was performing in the midst of, but it was again, sort of hidden. They, they, they took, they take steps to sort of cover that up. Um, in on stage, it was the robot masks and on, uh, on the field, it's often, you know, helmets, but it's, uh, it's not something that we sort of talk about openly, but it's something I think we should. I have no idea if that made any sense. I'm on Nyquil. Well, it makes sense because I mean, it ties back to everything that we've been talking about before, right? Which is that like this empowerment sense. We have this martial aspect, which has this masculinity angle. There's this like ethnic angle, right? And there's like this robot angle. And robots, they love to blow things up and they, they want to take over the world eventually. So there's that whole aspect of aggression. Although the Black Eyed Peas were a counterpoint to the aggressive theme that I saw in a lot of the ads because they were – they're like – and it was a very active counterpoint. Like Will I Am, I think he adjusted his lyrics too, right, to, to account for, like, more of a contemporary political standpoint, um, where he's trying to say, like, yes, I have all – the show is, like, I have this authority and power and, and energy and technology, but I'm trying to ask people to sort of stand down from their conflicts with one another, right, and, like, and, like embrace love as, as the answer and whatnot. Uh, not and whatnot. It's like, look, yeah, clearly, clearly I'm a guy who's, who's totally happy with my relationship. So, like, love's the answer and whatnot. Um, yeah, whatever. Um, but no, no, no. I think it's a serious thing and i think right, the it, fact that the, the fact that the v was uh malfunctioning you know in the uh in the oh, uh, that, that wasn't on purpose i had no idea what was on purpose or what was by accident no that was, that was i'm sure that v was meant to be was meant to be working uh Fair enough. you know the v was meant to be working in, in no way undercuts the, in no way undercuts <laughs> the message well we may have to stand down from uh podcasting so uh, if you want to join oh. the if you want to join the uh conversation the suckers call us at uh 2032856401 <laughs> or email podcast does anybody do that anymore does no. anybody call the number anymore they're dispirited <laughs> they're dispirited because we have not done a listener feedback episode in about 6 months um oh. But, you know, I actually – no, people do it and I, I index all of those things and put them into our Google Docs so that when it's time, we can, uh, you know, we can continue with them. Um, when, when we're out of something to say, <laughs> when we're at a loss for words, uh, so uh, we're going to stand down. But uh, if, you, if you do want to make your voice heard, join the conversation uh, in the comments on the show notes on the site. That's www.overthinkingapp.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny – it probably doesn't deserve. Hey, when the Black Eyed Peas were doing all their celebrity cameos. And then they.
they did the uh, the time of your uh, the time of my life song, was anyone else secretly hoping that they would reveal the cybernetically reanimated corpse of Patrick Swayze? <laughs> <laughs> Is that just me? Aww. Yep. And then Fergie runs up to him and he lifts her over his head. Yeah. And she flies off because he's got cyber strength. Fergie was um, Fergie was kind of draping herself over Slash. I mean, that's that's interesting. Like as big a star as you as you are, there's always a bigger star, you know, to whom you are merely arm candy. Yeah, she was also a half step flat for pretty much the whole show. <laughs> an amazing feat. I think that's an amazing act of independence, considering <laughs> the amount of auto tune that was being <laughs> applied to everything they did.